So we're gonna be in 1 John, but I wanna tell you about a man named George Whitfield as we begin. He is probably one of the most influential uh, preachers and evangelists that you have never heard of. Um, He lived in the 18th century, and many say that he reached more people for Christ in that era than, than anyone else. Most of his ministry was done in Britain and the United States. And they think that he preached probably about 18,000 times to about 10 million different people. But one of the things that I love about George Whitfield um, is summed up in a response he gave to someone's question. He had just finished preaching a kind of evangelism outreach, a, a revival, and someone just simply asked him, hey, how, how successful do you think it was? Just kind of asking him, hey, how, how did it go? How, how was it? And I love his response. This is what he said. He said, we'll find out in six months. We'll find out in six months. Kind of an interesting response, right? His measurement of success wasn't based upon the number of people that were there. It wasn't based upon the the power of the worship set. His measurement of success was seeing how many people took what he said to heart. His measurement of success was seeing how they took the conviction they felt, how, how they took the work of the Holy Spirit and allowed it to continue to work and produce fruit in their life. He was wondering, okay, what kind of transformation is going to happen from the inside out, not just right now in this moment, but for the months to come? Change that would then transform a heart, that would then transform a life. Over the past uh, just couple of years in the midst of COVID, I've been kind of just wrestling with some different questions as, as a pastor, as a church leader, but also just me, me personally on a personal front. Just kind of asking the question, okay, what is our metric for success as a church? What's our metric for success as followers of Jesus? What are we aiming for? And how do we know when we've hit that mark? My tendency, I think it's true for most of us, is is to base things, to base success based upon feelings. So when we ask things like, hey, how was the worship gathering this morning? You may get a response, oh, the message was powerful. Incredible word Andrew gave. (laughs) You may say, oh, man, I felt conviction. I felt deeply stirred. And all of this is good, by the way. Like, that's, that's what I hope people say in response to a worship gathering. All of this is good. It's not the wrong response. And don't hear me saying like feelings or emotions are a bad or a negative thing. In fact, I think they are God-given. Like God has given us these things. It is a good thing. It's a good thing to be stirred towards affection of God. It's a good thing to be stirred towards feelings of, of who God is and how much we love him. This is good. This is a good thing. But does it produce lasting fruit? Does it continue to go beyond the moment? How is, how is Sunday evening in our homes? How is Monday morning in the workplace? How is Tuesday night in our neighborhood different because of what God did in our hearts on a Sunday morning? 
It's, it's the response from George Whitfield, right? Hey, we'll, we'll find out six months from now. So like I said, I've been contemplating, I've been kind of wrestling with the question, okay, how do we know that we are being successful as a church? How do I know? How do I know, like, ultimately, if I'm growing as a disciple of Jesus? If I'm growing as a disciple of Jesus? How do, how do we know? Like, what's going to be the mark? Hey, we're maturing as the body of Christ. When I think about my family, when I think about my kids, like, what is it that I think about when I think about us growing in our Christ-likeness? And if I had to boil the answer down to, to one defining element, to one defining characteristic, one defining mark of spiritual maturity and growth, I, I would say that love is the measuring stick of success. Love is the measuring stick of success. Love, I would argue, is the ultimate litmus test of a disciple of Jesus. Love is, is the telos. It's the aim of the spiritual journey. Now, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Just take it up with Jesus, because that's where I'm getting this. There, there are a lot of aspects, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of aspects of what it means, what it looks like for us to grow and mature as his disciples, but Jesus himself, Jesus himself, when asked the question, hey, what's the most important command to live into? What's he say? Hey, love God and love others. I'm paraphrasing here. If love is not present in the person who claims to follow Jesus, nothing else really matters. And it's not just Jesus who says it. Like throughout the New Testament writers, they continue to basically boil it down. They say a lot of other things and then they continue to boil it down. Hey, what's, what, what's, what's the thing that matters? Faith, hope, love, right? But the most important of these is love. Now, when we talk about love, I think, I think something we need to acknowledge and understand is that the word in a lot of ways in our modern context has, has been diluted. It's been neutered a little bit. So I can, I can say in one sentence, man, I love pizza. Like, I love pizza. And then in the very next sentence, I can say, I love my wife. And hopefully, I love one of those more than the other. Now, as you start talking about Dasano pizza, it gets a little gray. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. She would say the same thing about me. So on, on one hand, you can say, essentially, like, I like something a lot. And on the other hand, even in the romantic sense of the word love, I think today it's typically equated with, with feelings or infatuation or affection, which, which are aspects of love, which are types of love. This is, once again, a good Good thing, and I was realizing this week, we need to do a series on just like love and the Bible and all the different types of love. We don't have time for that this morning to get into it. But the, the love equated with feelings, the love equated with affection um, is, is a small portion of what, of what God gives us in his word. It's a small portion of, of the biblical definition of what love looks like. And this morning, I wanna kinda hone in on one. I want to look at just one aspect, one, one word, agape. The Greek word for love, agape, it's, it's the love that's defined by Jesus' life. 
It's, it's the love that literally has no conditions, unconditional love. And I want us to turn to 1 John. Turn there with me if you aren't already turned there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Okay, keep going. First John chapter four, we're gonna pick up in verse 19. John's gonna keep going. So chapter four, verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Oh, that's pretty harsh. It's like, what does liar mean in the Greek here? I'm not exactly sure. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen, verse 21. And then he gave us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Now these words are written by our brother John. He wrote one of the four gospels. I'll let you guess which gospel he wrote. Gospel of John, that's right. First John is written a little bit later in his life. He's an old man at this point. Older, wiser. And I was just thinking about this letter that he wrote to these people that he loved and served and pastored. And he's full of wisdom, a little bit older in age and of all the things that he could have written about, like of all the things that he could have said, and he read the rest of 1 John, he repeats himself over and over again. It may have been because he was old, but I think he's trying to hammer a point home. He, he has this perspective. He has this perspective that I think we can only get just like on the back end of life. You know, when, when, you're, when you're seeing the finish line and as the finish line gets closer, there's something about like your present perspective on what's important and what ultimately matters that becomes true. One of my favorite things to do is just to sit down with people who are older than me, like wiser than me. And here's my goal, like when I sit down with people who have just lived longer than myself, it's to do this, ask questions and listen. Like that's it. Ask questions and listen and take notes. That's probably a good one as well. I was able to do this a couple of months ago with, with Keila's grandmother. Hey, real, real fast. I see my son's like up here shivering. If someone, Nick, will you go back to the HVAC? You, it's broken. Uh, this did this last summer. I'm realizing it in real time. It's broken unless you have it. It's just gonna run constantly one or the other. So turn it to heat and then it'll just run heat and then we'll have to turn it back to uh, Air, sorry. Thanks, Nick. Um, so anyway, back to what I was saying. Uh, I was having lunch with Keila's 92-year-old grandmother. Amazing woman of God. Just loves the Lord with all her heart. One of the most incredible uh, prayer warriors I know. And I was like, I need to take her to lunch. And I need to just ask her about like, what she has found in God, what she has found in prayer. And so I take her out to lunch and I just ask questions and I listen. Ask questions and I listen. This past week, I was able to go to lunch uh, with a man in his 70s who used to be a part of Ethos before him and his wife moved back to California. I hadn't seen him in like two years. He was visiting from California and um, 
he's someone who just passionately loves the Lord, knows God. And I was like, all right, the past two years, I haven't seen you. Just tell me, like, what have you seen? Like, what have you seen in the church? What have you seen in yourself? What, what have you seen in culture? Just like, pour, bestow your wisdom upon me. And this is that moment here that we have in 1 John from our brother John. Full of wisdom, truth, still so full of the Holy Spirit. And what does he choose to talk about? He boils everything down. What does he choose to talk about? God's love for us and our love for others. God's love for us, our love for others. John, along with the rest of scripture, lets us know that if there is love present, there will also be action present. This is one of the first things I noticed from this. If there is actual love, there will be action. If you're taking notes, write this down. If there is actual love, there will be action. How do we know this? Well, in verse 18, this is what he said. He says, hey, let us not love with words or, or speech, but with actions. Not that words aren't important, but hey, this is how you're gonna know that you're loving. How, how do we know? How do we know that Jesus loves us? We say that all the time. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. How do we know? Is it just feelings? Like, do you simply just feel the love of God and know? Once again, don't hear me saying something I'm not. Experiencing the love of God, feeling the love of God is extremely important. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for our church family to know and experience his love. But how do we know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves us? How do we know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves us? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Verse 16, it tells us. Chapter three, verse 16, it says, this is how we know his love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus, he came. Action, he came out of a deep love for us. He showed us what true love really is. And he gave us essentially the playbook of what it looks like to truly love others. Now, Jesus in John's gospel says this, John chapter 15, verses nine, he says this, he says, hey, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. He says, if you keep my commands, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I love this part, he says, I've told you this so that your joy may, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And he, Jesus does something really interesting here. He sandwiches this idea in between what it, what it means to show love in action with this idea that your joy is gonna be made complete by laying down your life for one another. There's something I think Jesus discovered, like love in action, sacrificial, unconditional love. It's the upside down way of the kingdom. When you give of yourself for the sake of others, you are gonna find a joy in Christ that you will find no other way. So what's the mark of spiritual maturity? How do we know? Like, how will we know? Hey, discipleship at Ethos Church is working and effective. 
couple things. One, when we know, when we know the love of God, when we know how much he loves us, but not just that, when we're living out God's love towards those around us, our lives for the sake of others. This is, this is what Jesus meant when he said, hey, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to pick up your cross and I want you to follow me. It, it was this invitation into a radical loving of other people. Not simply with words, but with actions. Here's what I believe, and Brandon said it last week, which really kind of got me thinking about this week. If we're abiding in Christ, if we are in Christ, if, if we are remaining in, remaining in him, reading his word, walking in step with the spirit, and he's remaining in us, we're gonna become more and more like him. And I think the more and more we become like Christ, the more and more we're gonna begin to love others. And it's not just a love with empty words. It's, it's a love with actions that testify to the words that we're speaking. So how do we measure success? How do we measure spiritual maturity? Is it by talk? Is it, is it by speech? Because in all honesty, like, I think what's happening right now is a good thing. Hearing the word of God, but the word of God being proclaimed, the word of God being heard. There's gonna be a moment in, in May when we join forces with the cannery when even more people are gonna be hearing the word of God. The word of God's gonna be proclaimed to even more people. But, but our success can't be measured by the number of people that hear, whether it's a room of 100 or it's a room of 1,000. It has to be measured by the amount of fruit, by the amount of sacrificial love that comes after. In the words of George Whitfield, hey, what, what happens six months from now? Something that I think we just have to be careful of is the fact that we will often not measure success the way that God measures success, and you see this all throughout scripture. I was thinking about Isaiah 58 this week. In fact, turn with me to Isaiah 58 in your Bibles. A group of people who are fasting and praying. I don't hear too many pages turning. Y'all must be on your phones or something. Isaiah 58. If you need a Bible, it's in the back. It's in the back. Isaiah 58. A group of people are praying and fasting. And I think our immediate response is, okay, like, that's really good. That's really amazing. Like, they must, they must be, like, really mature in Christ. God must be really pleased by what they're doing. Now, God's speaking here in Isaiah 58, starting in verse 5, 5 through 10. He says, he says this, verse 5 of Isaiah 58. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? For lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them? not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. 
Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Man, I'm preaching to myself. Let me just say that. I'm preaching to myself. Here, here is what's so sobering about this moment in Isaiah 58. That they didn't realize what they were doing wasn't pleasing to God. They didn't, they, they didn't even see the, the fact that you don't eat and because you're weeping in prayer, it doesn't necessarily mean God is pleased. God, through the prophet Isaiah, he's reminding them, and I think he's reminding us, he was reminding me this week, that, that action is the sign, that, that loving the least of these is the sign of true interchange. Let's say hypothetically, for a month as a church, we decided to pray and fast. Let's say we decided to do this, and after the month is over, if, if our love for people didn't grow, if our love for our neighbors, if our love for our spouses, if our love for our kids didn't grow, do we think God was pleased? I was asking myself that question. In Revelation, it talks about a church that's, that's lukewarm, not really living out their faith. And here's the sobering moment again in, in Revelation. We don't have time to jump there, but they don't realize it. They don't realize that they're lukewarm. They, they don't realize that how they're living out their faith wasn't pleasing to God in the moment. Now, let me just say this plainly. This is not where I'm saying we're at as a church. This is not where I'm saying you are at as a church. But I think these stories, I was just drawn to them this week because I think these stories, Isaiah 58, Revelation, a few others in scripture, help us just keep in mind that they allow us to reflect and think about how we are measuring our spiritual maturity, how we are measuring our spiritual growth, it allows us to kind of reflect upon, okay, how does God measure success versus how do we measure success? How do we sometimes tend to do it? And I love how our brother James, like the book of James, if you want to just hear things real plainly and real clearly, James does this so well. James chapter one, verse 22, he says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Mm, okay. How can, how can we look at that any other way than, than what it says right there? Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those in Isaiah, a little bit deceived. Those in Revelation, the lukewarm, a little bit deceived. Okay, I'm just, I'm just like putting all my cards on the table. Hey, let's just make sure we're not being deceived. Like personally, as a, as a church, let's, let's just make sure we're not being deceived. The, the world is full of people who have a lot of Bible knowledge. And once again, not bad. I hope we are just like full of people who know God's word. Like we are a church that loves God's word, that knows God's word. But here's the thing. If you're anything like me, like the more you begin to know, the more you can start to feel pretty good about yourself. But the question is, and the question I was asking myself this week is, okay, I know the word. Am I putting the word in action? Do I know the word and obey the word? What was Jesus's command? When we look back at John 15, he says it pretty clearly. He says, hey, my command is this, 
Love each other as I have loved you. As we grow in the knowledge of God's word, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, are we also growing in our love for people? The longer that I follow Jesus, like the longer that I apprentice under Jesus in his ways, ultimately my love of people should grow as well. And for some reason, I think sometimes you you see the opposite to be true. And so I was just asking myself this question. This is probably where the sermon came from this week. Like, am am I loving my neighbors? Like, just, just think about it. Like, am I loving my neighbors? Am I loving my spouse? Like, am I loving my wife? Not just with my words, but am I loving her with my actions? If love, unconditional, agape love, if that is the litmus test of the Christian journey, what, what, is it, what does it say about where we're at? Am, am I moving towards the telos, the, the, the ultimate aim of the Christian journey? Love, unconditional, agape love in action. What was deeply encouraging this week What was just so deeply moving this week as I was just thinking about this in connection with all of you all is just how I've seen this in our church family. Like a group of people who I really consider spiritually mature. When you put this group of people up against this litmus test, I was so deeply encouraged by so many of you. Jill, who's serving back with East ethos kids right now, Jill Hartline, watching the ways in which she is loving um, her aging parents um, with some really difficult medical things that are happening and watching her serve her parents and love her parents, give her time and affection towards her parents in a way that's really inconvenient for her. Why? Because she knows the love of God and she knows what it looks like to love others in the same way. I thought, about, I thought about Courtney Steele right here in the front row. Uh, all the ways that Courtney just quietly serves our church body. But many of you have no idea all the ways that she loves and serves our church. Gives, gives her life in ways that she will never receive glory for this side of eternity. The ways that she loves kids in the neighborhood, like you'll see her leaving and coming and bringing, she's got three of her own and then she's bringing all these other kids as well. And I'm like, okay, agape. Love in action, love without conditions, love that's not convenient. I thought about you guys, Caleb and Rochella. Uh, Fostering. I'm just gonna have to read that. I didn't know I was gonna do this. Fostering medically fragile children in their home on their way to adopt both, in addition to your two biological kids. I've told so many people this year, watching Caleb and Rochella love those kids, adopting Everett with all the medical implications and outlook. It has been the greatest gospel witness I've seen in a long time. The greatest gospel witness I've seen in a long time. 
And it's not by anybody who stood up here and preached a sermon. But it's agape in action. It's unconditional love in action. And if, if agape, if love, is the litmus test of the, of the Christian journey, I see so many of you living it out. I could stand up here and give example after example after example. Jesus in John 15, he tells us, he says, this is only possible if you remain in my love, if, if we abide in him, if we accept and, and if we know God's love for us. It's the only way that we can then in return love others. That's why every week that we gather, like we don't just, we don't just like listen to the teaching. We, we gather around the table, the figurative table. It's, it's the reason why we, we grab bread from, from back there. It, it represents Jesus' body. It represents his, his action of love towards us. It's the reason we drink the cup. It's the reason we drink the juice. It's Jesus' blood that was shed for us, love and action on the cross. And we come to this first, not because we have it all figured out, but because we need this reminder. Like we need this reminder each and every week like to, to take this physical representation of the fact that Jesus loves us. He died for us so that we could live, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could then in return love others, to pour our lives out for the sake of the people around us. Not when it's in our favor, not when it's just good for us. Because let me tell you, like it wasn't good for Christ on the cross. It wasn't good for him. But because he loves, because he first loves us, we can then in return love others. And so this morning, I just wanna invite us into a time of communion. Us coming to the table. This reminder that, oh, Jesus loves us. Why? Not just because he said it, but because he demonstrated us. So I just want to invite us into a time of communion right now, and I want you to just kind of pray on your own. And Caleb, if you'll just play a little bit of just music just to kind of allow us to reflect upon this. I want us to, to first just take a moment to, to reflect upon the love of Jesus as represented in these, in these elements. The bread, if you don't have it, it's in the back. You can go grab it. It's not weird. Um, these, these elements that just remind us, that tell us about Jesus' love for us. And then I want us to just ask. Just ask Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit. Hey, where are you inviting me to agape? Where are you inviting me to, to love this week? So I just want to invite you on your own just to reflect upon the love of Jesus. Think on it. Dwell on it. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to renew that, that joy of salvation. That Jesus came. He lived. He died. He rose for, for us. And then I want to invite you to just think, okay, God, like where are you inviting me into this this week? Where are you inviting me to agape this week? For some of you, it may be a neighbor. For some of you, it may be a spouse. 
For some of you, it may be a coworker. For some of you, it may be a friend. Like, where is God inviting you to lay down your life for the sake of others this week? So take a few moments, just you and the Lord, to to reflect upon this, and then we'll get back up and close together in worship. I just want to pray over us. Um, If you want to continue just reflecting, having conversation with the Lord, please keep doing that. Uh, If you wanna talk, pray, if you need prayer, I'll be in the back by the respond banner. Love to talk and and pray with you. Um, But let me just pray over us as we enter into a time of worship together to close out our time together this morning. Father, I, I know that there are no limits to your love for us. Your love, it knows no bounds. God, I know that sometimes my heart is softer than other times to, to understand your love, to know your love, to receive your love. And other times it's maybe cold towards it or hard towards it or I have a hard time um, understanding it. Jesus, I, I just ask for just a simple opening up of our hearts to, to see your love, to know your love, to experience your love in a way that, that produces fruit out of the overflow of who we are to those around us. God, I know the agape love, like unconditional love, is in no way something we can produce or, or manufacture. It, it has to be a supernatural fruit of overflow from within us. And so I'm asking for that. Will, will you, by the power of your spirit, like infuse this kind of love into this body. I thank you for all the places and ways like it's already present, all the places and ways that um, are just on full display for the world around us. Um, God, we, we wanna be a body, we wanna be a people who are marked by your love. So renew a steadfast spirit within us renew a heart in us that just so desperately longs to care for and and see every single person loved by the grace and the mercy of you, Jesus. It's in your name. Together as a whole church, we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close and worship together this morning. If you want to talk, if you want to pray, I'll be in the back by the respond banner.